0: Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell.
1: And I'm Timothy Plain.
0: Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but just as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. And this week we're joined by another very special guest, documentary filmmaker Scott Kirschenbaum. Welcome, Scott.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Did I say your name right? Is that
2: how you say it? Yeah, Kirschenbaum, Kirschenbaum. Same thing, it means... Cherry
0: tree in German. Oh, cherry tree. Works for me. Nice. Awesome. We got recommended to you by a, a mutual friend of ours and uh, we checked out what you're doing and it's, it looks really awesome. So uh, why don't you just tell us, I mean, I don't know. We, we normally do this like, who are you? How'd you start filmmaking? Blah, blah, blah. But I think um, let's do something a little different, Timothy. What do you think? Sure. What do you want to do? I don't know. I just want to get right into our, our topics and like, okay. you know, I mean, yeah. people can look up Scott, his information online and everything. But uh, I think that might be more interesting, just to like just jump right into it. Okay, let's do it. Why, why are you making documentaries, and why did you decide to make Birth?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, I was doing a lot of screenwriting at a school in New York and then in L.A., and I just came up to San Francisco for a period of time and became motivated to do cause-driven films, and I realized that this is kind of the mecca for documentary filmmaking, and I tried some hybrid ideas with a little bit of fiction and some documentary incorporated. And you know, now I'm at a place where birth came to mind as a subject that needed to be tackled because there is no feature film that depicts the full expanse of birth of a woman's experience during labor in, in an authentic and fair rep, representation. So that's really where my motivation came from for doing this particular documentary. Was
1: it like... Um some experience that you had or in talking to somebody that this idea came to you? Like, where, where did this idea get born? Get it? Born? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I was on uh, the road with my producing partner, Gracie. And we were having a meeting in Oregon and she had just given birth to her, I think, second daughter. And, you know, we had some spare time to kill. We were driving through the Oregon countryside and I just asked her to describe Her experience during labor and she gave me a nice kind of three to five minute soliloquy about what her you know how her contractions unfolded where the midwife was positioned where her mom was positioned where her partner was in the room and the other women that were coming in and out and it just seemed so cinematic you know even sort of like the choreography of all the different individuals and how there was a complete emphasis on the woman in labor so i just Immediately, my response was that sounds like you know the making of a feature of film that's a hero's journey, if I've ever heard one, and it all takes place in one location, which is kind of um, a style that I like a lot. So, when I heard that, something went off for me and then I just really need to spend time figuring out what the angle was that I was going to take for this project.
1: Did you ever consider doing this as like a a 360 experience like a a virtual reality type thing?
2: It it certainly was a consideration and I know that some friends of mine were encouraging me to go that direction but it's uh, you know trying to pull that off you know you only get one shot to get it right and also the attention is really directed, you know, primarily towards the woman in labor, and not much into the, towards the other parts of the room. So it just made more sense to focus on her. Um, I'm sure that there will be more and more 360 labor footage shot over the course of the next years, and maybe this will be the catalyst for that. I don't, you know, if this gets out there and gets a strong response, but. Yeah, we we wanted to just lock in on her experience, kind of like a one-woman documentary-style piece. Nice.
1: So as, as a documentary filmmaker, because I'm like hearing you talk about like pointing the camera in a direction that you want the audience to look at. Like, why why do you choose to do documentaries and not narratives? Like, couldn't you tell this same story in in, in a narrative context with actors and sets? And why why would you choose to do it as a documentary?
2: That's a good question. I'd say I mean with the I did this Alzheimer's film about four or five years ago and that was one woman in one location and she you know, one woman with the disease with Alzheimer's disease who lives in an Alzheimer's and other dementia unit and so sort of about her relationship with the other residents and the caregivers and the nurses and I saw the way that she moved through that space and for a period of time I had scripted uh, a A version of that film as a short film, and I tried to weave in you know assisted living residents and actors from the community and It just became so complicated to deal with the woman's reality with the disease. Her name is Lee Gorwitz, and trying to function in her reality and also to give instruction to actors as well, so you know that motivated me to focus exclusively on a documentary that was structured to be about one woman in one location, and this is sort of an outgrowth of that. I certainly, you know, could script um, a fiction version of this this project, but I also just feel like it's so important for people to understand that, you know, we shouldn't have, enough, you know, like an exposure to birth that is exclusively through YouTube videos And these short clips that come through reality TV, we need a beautiful, elegant depiction of labor. And I feel like that can be accomplished through, you know, documentary probably more than fictionalizing it, you know, because the one example people point to when they speak of birth, in fiction films is knocked up. And and that's not really a fair representation (laughs) of labor because she's screaming, you know, you can see some of the images of, the, the woman in labor, and she's just screaming at her, at Seth Rogen's character and the doctor, and there are more details I can bring up about why that is an issue, but let's just say that I felt it, it was incumbent upon me to do a documentary of a, a woman's labor.
0: I, I have like an offshoot question. So, you mentioned briefly that you were writing screenplays before you started becoming, you started going into documentary filmmaking. Can you just talk briefly about
2: that? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, moved out to Los Angeles from New York. I went to Yale in interdisciplinary arts. So, I was doing some theater, some film, some creative writing. And then I found uh, a writing partner. We moved out to LA together, and uh, we we're working on a few different screenplays and had representation and i guess you know the the major inspiration if you will even though it's a very you know sad experience in my life is that my theater partner that i was doing some hip-hop musicals as well and my theater partner james ended his life uh while i was in la he was oh, um, God. yeah he was in atlanta at the time so i i wanted to take a road trip up to the bay area and just spending a weekend in Big Sur camping made me realize that I, I did not want to invest the next five years of my life just exclusively taking meetings and being a part of, you know, the de facto machine that is the LA screenwriting world. Having said that, I know that I wow. missed out on some serious opportunities because my old writing partner Micah is doing incredibly well um, and is a producer for that show, Transparent which I think is a phenomenal wow. TV program. So it's it's kind of like a balancing act because I'm well aware that I missed out on a significant amount of money, um, but it, I can't sit there and bemoan my decisions in the past or have regrets about it. You know, this is, this is the path that I've chosen, and I think that after I finish this documentary, I will get back into a screenplay that I've been sort of Sitting on for a number of years, waiting to get a more experience with documentary filmmaking.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's not like you switched over to becoming a documentary filmmaker, and now you're like, "Oh, I'm never going to go back to narrative." You're like, you know, you're kind of just jumping back from pro- the the from medium to medium, just depending on the story that you're that you have that you have to tell. Basically.
2: Yeah, I would say so, and I'm I'm also trying to cultivate a certain style with documentaries that's more, like, immersive. I, you know, I, I like to think of the blend of music uh, and film, kind of how you can get more of, a, like, a cohesive interplay there and also have voiceover weave in with that as well. I'm also very interested in soundscape with documentaries because you rarely see that. So I'm kind of trying out a lot of different styles with this birth piece in particular um, and seeing if I can get a proof of concept from this, and then if it works, I can flesh it out into the screenplay, because th- there are, is a lot of crossover with what I'm doing conceptually on the Birth Project and what I want to do with this screenplay I've been sitting on mm. uh, for a number of years.
1: That's really cool. That's like a a nice way to progress your your um, your life as an artist forward. That like I, I do this a lot of the same things in my own work. Is that each project feels like a, a natural progression to the next one that I, I'm always constantly thinking about, like, where am I headed as a filmmaker and using the projects that I'm choosing to do is like some sort of experiment to get closer to that goal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm interested to know, like, in what you're talking about that you missed out on opportunities and you have to just kind of accept the path that you're on. I have a hard time doing this myself. So I'm curious to know, like, is that, <laughs> is that something you're just telling yourself to to believe or do you actually believe it? Like, do you, is this something you struggle with? Cause I am constantly struggling with the path that I'm on and whether or not I should be on this path and whether or not I made mistakes. And it's like definitely something where some days I can totally accept the path that I'm on. And then some days I would just feel like I've completely screwed up my life and I'll never get to where I want to be. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm 36 years old and I certainly could have envisioned, I mean, I can sit here now and say, I probably would have had a writing job in LA, you know, a consistent writing job and maybe had the opportunity to direct a fiction film had I stayed there, but I did have a realization that I'm not the best at, you know, kind of being a director with a a crew of, you know, 15 or 20 or more people. I tried to do, I actually did a short fiction film in Phoenix about eight years ago, and kind of every time I've had any money, I've been put it into, I've kind of bet on myself with a new project. So I've done this about four times now, where I'll have, let's say, ten or twenty thousand dollars, and I will be the first investor in my own work. You know, now I'm sitting here mm-hmm. trying to fundraise a couple hundred thousand dollars for my documentary so that I can get it to the finish line by August. And certainly, I wish that I had the Rolodex that one would have in LA where I could call someone up and you know, perhaps get a five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollar budget. But that's just not realistic with the kind of projects I'm doing because they're pretty unusual, you know, and it takes a while for me to convince people of the viability of my ideas. You know, I'll say, for example, with the Alzheimer's film that I made, I was rejected probably from the first 20 grants that I applied for because a lot of people felt like, oh, there's no way you could tell the story from the perspective of a woman with the disease. and With this birth project, I did not have any footage to show anyone during pre-production, so it was hard to get funding before the labor took place. You know, I'd say the the most galvanizing aspect about documentaries is that no one is going to give you, you know, no one's going to give you a handout and say, you know, no one's going to just, like, invest in you based upon your reputation. You've got to be hustling harder than everyone else. And right now I'm wearing so many hats in the post-production process and fundamentally have to be fundraising, uh, you know, every single day. So I'm going back and forth between figuring out the color for the trailer and the audio mix for the trailer and having calls where I'm begging people for money. And it's, you know, not my ideal (laughs) scenario, but I feel like, (laughs) you know, this is what I got to do. You know, someone's got to throw down for the cause, these causes. And I, I feel like this is my calling right now. And I I just have to accept the fact that my bank account is fluctuating constantly. And, you know, I, in fact, I think it's something about San Francisco. When I first moved to the Bay Area six or seven years ago, I don't know if you all have read William Soroyan, his works. You know, he wrote this book. No. The Daring Young Man on the Flying Trapeze. He was kind of one of the major Bay Area writers in the mid-20th century. And, you know, each day he'd write a short story and submit it to a magazine because his intention, you know, he basically said, if I'm going to make it as a writer and I want to only eat from the money that I take in from sales with my pieces, with the um, essays that he put out there, and the short stories that he put out there. And I, I like that attitude. I like saying, you know, if I have to scrape by, I'll do it. You know, I think I, when I was in the early stages of the Alzheimer's film, I was on food stamps. So uh, I don't know. It's not something that's glorious. It's it's not something I feel like great pride over. And I certainly can look at the folks in L.A. And I, I do think I've reached a decent place where I'm, I'm not – sitting there feeling jealousy for them, anyone who's making, you know, great fortune uh, in L.A. I, I see that as being just an alternative path and it has, you know, more luxury and, you know, you, they're much better off and probably own their own houses, but for me, uh, I don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't mind sleeping on friends' couches right now.
0: We talk about this a lot, you know, like the San Francisco versus L.A. sort of thing. And like, oh, if we were in L.A., would we be more successful directors? Would we have more opportunities? And we always question ourselves, you know. And I mean, I think it's good to just stay on your own path and like, you know, we try to stay in your own lane if you mm-hmm. can but it does get hard you know you're always comparing yourself even if you, you know you're not you know you're you're not supposed to be comparing yourself to others but you can't help it you know you just do it you know it's a very human thing i, I had a question is this what you're doing full-time right now are you just working on birth is that your full-time job or do you have something else you're doing in between
2: yeah i've been pretty much only doing uh documentaries for about the last i'd say eight or nine years um i do wow Every so often I'll do a consulting project I, when I lived in Asheville, I did a project for the Cherokee Preservation Foundation. Um, but Asheville has a pretty fervent birth community, and I actually went through the course of I got trained as a doula as well, <laughs> so uh, mm. that was an unusual experience. There are not that many dudes who care about birth, so uh you know they call us Doodlas, <laughs> which is kind of silly, but uh D- Yeah. This, doodlas. <laughs> This this is what I'm doing full time, and uh, you know it's amazing just being around birth workers, uh, midwives, doulas, obstetricians, women who form you know just gave birth. I cannot tell you how many meetings I have, where uh, probably one third of my meetings involve a woman crying within thirty minutes or an hour, and I hope it's not because I'm saying some offensive thing. It's you know (laughs) it's more because they're just so passionate about their labor experiences, and and a lot, some of them have had birth traumas from giving birth in the hospital, Um, and my objective with this film is not to vilify a woman's experience giving birth in a hospital, it's more just trying to say that a woman's experience giving birth, plain and simple, that is deserving of respect and recognition. Um, So, yeah, I've been, you know, on this path for a good three or four years now, traveling abroad meeting with indigenous midwives and midwives in europe and birth practitioners just trying to understand this universe because it it is very rich and i don't know any other guy who gives a shit about birth so i figure why not me
0: I'm, i'm sure you've gotten asked this before when you're talking about this idea and like you're presenting this idea to people you're not a woman you've never given birth you don't have any children like what makes you the right filmmaker to tell this story
2: yeah it's a great question i think From right off the bat, you know, I've spent a lot of time, and I don't mean to get into like sort of hippie landscape here, but I have spent a lot of time in ceremonies and rituals, spiritually oriented gatherings. So I've learned how to sit in challenging environments and to be with people who are going through deep emotional and physical transformations or having deep experiences. And so I, I think that's one of my great callings with film is to be in those uncomfortable spaces. I had a mentor of mine who once put it that, you know, he he believes that I I look at more challenging environments or even depressing environments and I'm trying to depict them in my own kind of beautiful way. I'm trying to find a way for that to look pretty, you know, and not saccharine or, you know, sugar-coated, but to just say this, there's like raw integrity here. So I know that I'm not, you know, a guy who has a family. I've never been at, you know, a significant other's labor. Um, but I, I, I love the, the challenge of this project. And I think that's one thing that I'm, I'm pretty capable of is holding my ground and not flinching when things get tough. You know, I, I went with, you know, our mutual friend, Jason Josefer, to Haiti. And we did a speaker series there. And our idea was to take the TED Talks model and do it in the raw wreckage of the earthquake um, and the aftermath of the earthquake and to take people who have never given speeches before and say, if you could give a speech to the entire country, what would you want to say? You know, and that was an incredibly vulnerable setup for, for that film project. Um, And the conditions were incredibly challenging. I think Jason and I were, you know, on the verge of tears, many of the early days of the shoot but you know that experience and the experience working in an Alzheimer's unit and filming in Chernobyl uh, you know these kinds of settings really have built me up you know to be available when things are uh, really uh, I'd say challenging on on a shoot and with this birth project everything was about preparation this was all about preparation because we knew we only had one shot to get it right.
1: Wow, yeah. It's pretty yeah, you amazing. Can't, you can't stuff the baby back in and do another take, can you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, so I,
0: I, uh, I know this isn't our main topic with that, but just how many cameras did you have running on the berth itself?
2: We had, I mean, we had three cameras total and two shooters. Uh, Jason created a rig system from the ceiling in the living room which I, I'm sure has not happened with the documentary before we were very fortunate uh, Matthew studio equipment gave us one of their elevators to use and Jason suspended a red epic from there and then we also had one mm. red on a movie uh, and then we also had one on a dolly um, with a super long lens um, so we had three cameras mm. and two shooters and uh, two ACs helping as well
0: nice awesome and how much lighting did you do? Did you light it at all or was it like natural lighting or how did you do the lighting yeah, part? Yeah,
2: we did. We had a, a fair amount of lighting. Um, let's see here, Light Gear was a sponsor for us. You know, we were fortunate. We had a lot of and Angenou helped us with lenses as well. Um, but Oh, uh, really? Dan, wow. Yeah. Um, which was fantastic uh, but I don't know if you all know Dan Juneman. I guess he works with Jason a lot oh yeah okay so Dan's amazing yeah yeah we uh, <laughs> originally I tried to find someone we, we shot the birth movie in Greenville South Carolina in the early going Jason said to me uh, please bring out a gaffer from the Bay Area and I did not listen to him and so um, within a day or two we realized we needed to bring someone out from the Bay and amazingly uh, Dan was on the <laughs> A plane within 24 hours, and he's worked with he had worked with our whole team before, and is good friends with Sinisha, who came out from New York to do uh, camera operators. So it worked out perfectly. You know, he did a lot of the lighting around the house, and we ended up filming entirely through the night. Wow. So you know, he had a good feel for that and for the space, and also you know one of the other major contributing factors is that our subject Emily is is such an incredible person a woman you know and everyone was so motivated to get this right for her you know the guys were like up until the wee hours of the morning every single night and there was like a sense of like anticipation but more anxiety just wanting to do this right for her because she's such a badass you know she's so amazing and has such a command of how she wanted to give birth uh and her husband jason was so supportive of us and, you know, just like her, all, her entire micro community basically was saying, anything you guys need, we're here to support you all. I never had one person from her community come up to me and say, you guys are overstepping your boundaries or like what you're doing is wrong or, uh, you know, not appropriate. People were, you know, on board completely and, and, and Emily understood When Jason came out for our scout shoot, you know, and we took some test photos, Emily was comfortable naked with him, you know, very early on and considered Jason to be like another doula. And the way we just presented a work sample at a birth conference and people asked her, you know, how is it that you could be comfortable with all these guys moving around your birth space? And she just said... You know, these are these men learned how to be doulas on the spot. She, she considered them to be guardians for her. And she actually felt supported by their presence and not uh, limited by the fact that there was a camera, you know, a few feet away from her most of the time.
1: Wow. I saw that you are, you're listed as a doula in San Francisco Bay Area. Are you getting jobs as a doula right now? <laughs>
2: Uh, it's a good question. I am I'm helping out uh, one woman um, who's giving birth in June, and uh, I'm you know I'm talking to her about her preparations. I can't guarantee to her that I will be here in town, but I've been talking through her birth plan a lot and sharing some of the materials with her. I don't have any clients in the bay area right now because <laughs> I have to fundraise for this film, and I think that's got to be my focus. But I I was a doula in the preparations. Uh, you know, before we actually did this film, I did doula work for another woman. I was an assistant actually to Emily, the subject of the film, because Emily is a midwife as well. So I've been sort of an apprentice to her and learning from her along the way. i love to be a doula at future labors. You know, I try to give any input I can. I have a few friends who are unfortunately having some infertility challenges, and I've been giving them some input on how they could, you know, the resources that might be available to them. You know, I just speak to everyone I can in the birth scene. I've spoke to, you know, a major prenatal yoga teacher in town in San Francisco named Jane Austin. I was on the phone with her yesterday. She's unbelievable. Uh, One of my closest birth friends in town is this woman, Sage Behrman. Uh, And she's just a, a fount of information. So I feel like it's this balance of talking to people in the film world and talking to people in the birth world, um, and and for me, I'm trying to find my niche between those two universes.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting because there's um, in the beginning of one of the the writing books that I have by John Truby, he talks about like finding a story that will change your life. And Ulrich and I did an episode talking about like what does that mean? Like what does it mean to find a story that's going to change your life? This sounds like you found a story that changed your life, like the, your life will never yeah, be the same I, again. I
2: think that's certainly the case. You know, after I was doing that film in the Alzheimer's unit, I became, you know, I guess the way that PBS promoted the film, they said that I was an advocate for the elderly because I'd spent a lot of time doing film projects in nursing homes before. And I think a part of me needed sort of, you know, certainly a change of pace from just focusing on, that end of the life spectrum, and from uh, the biggest change that I've had is I, I find that people who work in the birth world are some of the most solid, grounded, intelligent individuals I've ever met, you know, and egoless too. I mean, the humility is is right there because, you know, just the idea of a midwife, you are a servant to the woman in labor, that, and a doula, actually the Greek word doula means to be of service, yeah, you know, that's what it means. Um, so it's cool in that regard, you know, because I'm less concerned with whatever acclaim the film is going to get and more just, <laughs> yeah. you know, obsessive about not making, you know, not doing the wrong film. I, I need to do this right. So it definitely has changed my life. I, I like the idea of going for broke. So, you know, you mentioned making a film that will change your life and something that I love is betting on yourself completely. You know, taking every penny you own, throwing it into a film and saying, devil may care, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it no matter what, come hell or high water. So that that kind of investment certainly helps in terms of the life, you know, the life changes, because, you know, you don't have anything else that you're really counting on other than finishing the film.
1: Can we talk about financials for a little bit? Because you said you've been working on documentaries for like six to eight years. Is that what you said?
2: Yeah, I'd say, you know, about that, about that amount of time, for sure.
1: Yeah. So how do you sustain yourself as like, how do you pay rent and buy food? It sounds like you had food, you were on food stamps for a little bit. Like, how? I don't just explain to us how your financials work, because you're yeah. not getting paid a bunch of money for every documentary you do. So is it that you're making money doing something is like the side hustle a big part of it. And that's why I asked about the doula thing too, is like, are you, it doesn't sound like you're making a bunch of money as a doula. So like, where's the not. money coming from? That's, <laughs> that's sustaining your life as a, as a filmmaker.
2: Yeah. This question comes up for me very often because I not only am doing this film work, but I also travel pretty much, uh, maybe eight or nine months out of the year. Uh, so I am, I'm relatively nomadic. Um, that is just been the case for me since I left the Bay Area Um, in terms of making money. uh, Usually I've had some fortune, you know, not fortune, but financially speaking, but just luck in post-production of receiving finishing funds and grants. And so whereas in pre-production production, production, I'm not able to pay myself or even pay the crew very well in post-production money starts to come in. And so, you know, for example, with the Alzheimer's film, uh, this was maybe six years ago. The film society, San Francisco Film Society, selected us for the Film House residency, and at that oh, time, nice. yeah, thank, Yeah, thanks. Um, the head of programming for PBS's Independent Lens, Lois Vossen, reached out to us and the other members of the Film House and said, "Hey, when you have a cut ready, send it my way." And so. You know, right at that time, I was going over to Haiti to shoot with Jason, and I actually got, I'm just going to tell you this story, and then we'll come back to money. Um, but, you know, I got, I got <laughs> sick. I got quite sick over there uh, with a parasite, and I barely could stand up straight. And Jason had an iPhone plan, but I checked his phone because I needed some distraction, and I saw that Lois had watched the movie, and, you know, she was going to watch a comedy, but instead she decided to put on, my film one Friday night, and she loved it. And so that was a huge, you know, success, just learning that we were going to get picked up by PBS's Independent Lens. Um, and we, i at the time, I didn't have an entertainment lawyer, so I did not know that you actually could negotiate uh, how much money you'd pull in for a project. Uh, or maybe I was totally oblivious. I, I just did not. It, you know, I just thought, hey, this is amazing. We're getting a film out there. Don't even worry about. It. So, we didn't make a ton off that sale, but we did have just tremendous, um, you know, secondary and tertiary benefits from screening on PBS. You know, we our digital sales did fairly well, and and I will say, independent lens is, I mean, just. Uh, you know, collaboratively speaking, the greatest institution I've ever met in the film community. I mean, I don't mean to sound hyperbolic here, but I've never received more support from a staff as I did from their staff during the, you know, distribution process with that film. So, you know, we got great publicity from like the New York Times and the San Francisco Chronicle and the Huffington Post and then it just led to the sequence of figuring out, you know, on the fly how to earn a living from that project. So, you know, I'd arrange screening events at universities and conferences and negotiate, um, you know, speaker fees from that. And I handled all the DVD sales for the most part myself. And, you know, I had read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. So, I knew, that there was the you know the possibility of setting up kind of like a passive income arrangement with that film, and truthfully that I haven't made a fortune from it, but I have made enough to sustain myself and scrape by. You know, in the early years maybe it was something like twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year, um, and now you know, and then I'd supplement that with a few other gigs. Um, you know, like. Um, doing outreach videos for nonprofits or doing some strategy work for cause-driven small businesses. Um, but, you know, I, I, so I was able to sell, I've been able to sell the Alzheimer's film still to educational markets. I, you know, I'm very proud that it's been so well-received over the years and it still has a shelf life. Um, and then additionally, I've kind of worked off credit cards a lot. So I've, you know, accrued airline miles so that i can travel around and i've had luck of staying with friends and doing you know short sublets so i don't know how i've sustained myself financially but i can say living in asheville (laughs) yeah i i you know it's in it's so much uh, you know so much easier to survive in asheville compared to san francisco you know you know you just don't need a lot of money to get by so i actually was you know, banking a lot of money while I was living in Asheville and not really doing any other work other than developing this birth film so you know I had I think about forty or fifty thousand dollars saved up at the time that we started production with this project, and I just put that all up into the film and maxed out about five credit cards and we were able to pull it off and so now. Certainly, we're operating from a place of deficit, and I don't have really much in my bank account, but I do feel like we have a great deal of confidence because we we know we have footage that has been well received so I'm hopeful I'll get back to a place with some money in my bank account, but uh you know it's not my biggest priority right now
1: <laughs> in hearing you talk about this, I just it sounds so hard to me, and I wonder like it It must be hard on you, and how do you keep yourself going just emotionally through this
2: yeah it's it's tough you know it is it's it's draining at times, and I certainly have minor breakdowns at least once a week um i I think you know it's it's tremendously draining and and I don't know anyone else who would want this lifestyle um but also <laughs> yeah uh, you know i I wear you know, like kind of producer, director, combo, you know, I'm just in that headspace a lot of the time, and it's it's nice to have something to obsess about um, that is, that feels like it's an inherent good for the world. There's a, a, actually, I will mention, I was in Budapest in December, and I met with this midwife named Agnes Garib, who has attended 5,000 births, and she was jailed by the Hungarian government because they wanted to make an example of her. Um, I met her after she was released. She was in jail for three years and then on house arrest for a couple of years. But, you know, she's known worldwide for saying, if you want to look at the freedom of a country, you should start by looking at their freedom of birth. You know, I think that's relevant here in the United States because a lot of women do not realize that they... Are deserving of autonomy during labor and uh, their the body autonomy their body autonomy during labor and so, you know I feel like I have to keep going because I know so many women who have had traumatic birth experiences and they have kept going and they have healed and you know they have been my you know I don't I don't my my greatest supporters you know that they've been the ones who have said to me your project matters more women need to know about what what a healthy, positive labor experience can look like. And so that's been very uh, um, helpful for me. And also, you know, the film community in the Bay Area is amazing. You know, the people that you get to work with for the most, because people are not trying to sell out all the time. You know, people are here for a reason. And most filmmakers I meet are spending at least one-third of their careers doing cause-driven film work. You know, you know, Tim. You were just mentioning Jason worked for you on a, a music video shoot last week for free. You know, and it's just because he has the love of filmmaking. You know, he has that, and I think Jason epitomizes everything that the Bay Area film scene is about. And that's kind of why I always say to people, if I'm doing a project that involves the Bay Area film community, I want Jason to be the cinematographer because I just believe he exudes the spirit of this cause, co- you know, of what documentary filmmaking can be. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and not, and not just documentary filmmaking, narrative filmmaking too, because he's shot two of my projects now just for free. And, uh, it's the same thing like we were saying, cause he just loves film and he loves, you know, he loves telling stories and he loves challenges. I don't know. I don't want to speak for him. Of course. Don't want everyone to just start <laughs> emailing Jason with their ideas, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, you know, he just, uh, he's really talented and he has that, what you said, joy. And I, I mean, I think it's it it's not just for documentaries. It's
1: it's for all filmmaking. Absolutely. This episode brought to you by jasonjosepher.com. dot com. Jason <laughs> Josepher, he will shoot your project for free. Yeah, J- he's well, going
0: to kill us now.
2: <laughs> what, what I will say though, uh, just worth mentioning, and I'm not just trying to toot Jason's horn or say that he's the greatest thing in all the film world, but his work while we were in production with this film was just amazing. I mean. the the amount of intensity that we had prepping for this film. And the reason is because the second we showed up in Greenville, Emily could have gone into labor at any moment, you know, so we had to be moving Mm. a mile a minute to be prepared. And there was no guarantee, you know, she could have gone into labor before we even got there and I would have been totally screwed, Um, you know, but thankfully our team got there. we, We showed up, I think the Sunday after Thanksgiving And we knew we had about three or four days to install everything, and we were lucky enough to do that and to have some sort of practice run-throughs, you know, with people who were standing in for Emily. But Jason was just on top of things every single day, you know, and he was pushing the team. You know, he just did a great job, and I, I had so much trust for him throughout the filmmaking process.
0: That's awesome. Timothy, do you have any other questions or the things you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, I want to I go back a little bit to what we were talking about with like uh, if, how you're staying emotionally uh, sustained. <laughs> it's obviously not this is not about money for you. And that's really interesting. Um, I guess I just wonder, like, what, what is this about then if it's not about the money and it's not about the fame? Like, what are you hoping happens a, with your yeah. documentaries? And I'm, I'm sure you're saying, like, yeah, I want to, I want to change people's lives or impact people's lives. But if that's the answer, then it's like, how many lives do you need to impact to make it worth it to you to like go through all this pain and suffering and <laughs> to, to make a movie?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question, Tim, uh, because you know, I'm fine saying this. Like, I've struggled with depression my whole life. I have bipolar too you know, and I obviously left, I lost my music partner to, you know, he committed suicide. I've had other people in my life who have had mental health issues. Uh, so the emotional aspect of it is pretty serious to me and intense. And I, you know, I'm not going to put myself in harm's way ever with the filmmaking, you know, I'm not going to work myself to death, so to speak, but I think, you know, I just, I want to be able to lock in on projects where I'm like, you know, I'm putting my entire being into a film. Um, And to come out on the other side and see a piece on the screen means so much. You know, to know that I'm trying to do a film that no one else in their right mind maybe would do is an exciting challenge. You know, I didn't know anybody who would dare do a documentary in an Alzheimer's unit and it was so cool going around the Bay Area at the time I was like 27 when I started that project, I think, and saying to my buddies, hey, I know you're shooting music videos all the time, but what do you say you come over to the nursing home with me and just hang out with some old people? And, you know, the <laughs> fact that I think two or three million people have seen that is awesome. That's awesome. But, I, you know, for me, what it's about is making, you know, great art. I'm trying to make great art, and I'm trying to challenge the norms of documentary filmmaking and narrative. I don't mean to sound at all, you know, ostentatious or, like, you know, egotistical in, in, in this, but it, it it's just a medium where there are so many obvious ways of making documentaries, and then there's so many ways of challenging how people experience film and how people enter a cinema. And with this birth project in particular you're going to see a woman on screen who's probably going to be yelling or screaming or in some form of pain at least one-third, maybe one-half of the film, if not more. And the way I think about this <laughs> yeah. is that it's like a sensory documentary opera. You know, we need to experience it that way. Wow. And, you know, so I just love the challenge of it. And, I, you know, I don't I'm, – I'm, 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 I'd say I'm a pretty resilient guy. You know, I am used to have having people doubt me or doubt my concepts, and, and I've worked in a lot of different mediums, and this is just the medium that calls to me right now, and I'm just like de- I'm I'm just determined to make it work.
1: Is this like an ego thing? Is it like uh, when <laughs> when people look back on my life and they remember like who, who Scott Kirschenbaum represented? I want them to remember me for you know like treading new ground. Or, or are you talking about like this is in you just like somebody who says I just need to, to climb, Mount, climb Mount Everest like it's a mountain that's there and I got to climb it I don't know why I just got to do it Or,
0: or is it yeah, more that like this question, is just a story that you really want to tell because it isn't out there or is it just simple as that.
1: Yeah,
2: I'd say it's a combination of the fact that the the stories that I want to tell aren't out there, and I need to climb these mountains for myself. It's certainly not an ego thing, because I'm not walking around the city having people be like, oh, there's that guy who made that documentary. You know, barely anybody knows me. Uh, But it is something where, uh, you know, it's something where I'm proud to be investing my time in this, and I know that... I'm I'm probably making grant total like twenty five cents an hour for this work. So it's there's nothing <laughs> you know? it's just like Wait a second, it's that's just illegal. what I feel you can't like I that. need. Yeah. Uh what I feel like I need to do. And it also, you know, it comes back to your emotional your question about like emotional sustenance. It feeds me emotionally and psychologically and spiritually. Uh it does. It does. Yeah, like, that makes sense. That. Yeah. Uh-huh. So,
1: yeah, well, th- yeah well, this, I guess this, I'm oh. I'm asking all these questions because I've never been passionate enough about anything in my life to like put all my money on the line and just like to risk everything. I think, you know, I I, I like the safety of my life right now and this full time job and a salary like it feels so comfortable and I just can't imagine loving something so much that I'm just like. You know what? I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to risk my marriage. I'm going to risk my apartment. I'm going to risk my life <laughs> in San Francisco because I need to tell this story. I just, I, I'm i having a hard time getting there myself.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. I mean, you took a lot of risks putting the spirit machine together. Like, that was a lot of money that you, that you got together for that movie. And I know you put your own money into it, too. So, I think that's... But it was-
1: it wasn't I didn't have to max out any credit cards I didn't have to put my my future on the line. It was like it was a like, it was an, a small enough amount of money that I could afford it oh, okay,
0: yeah. I don't know. I mean, the the, the what what uh, Scott's talking about sounds very similar to what I did when I made Strange Thing, because like Strange Thing, I was like quitting my job, was gonna do a Kickstarter for this movie, but I basically just started putting everything on my credit card, begging my friends and family to to lend me money, you know, and yeah. just get checks from them, and then you know promise them that I'd pay them back when I got the Kickstarter money in or whatever. And then what started as like you know oh I'll spend six thousand, seven thousand, eight thousand dollars on this movie suddenly it became twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> Right. And, uh, you know, I was just in the hole for it all, you know, and so like, you can't
1: stop there. You got to keep going. Yeah. So to the end.
0: So that was like my version of, of your life, basically, Scott. And so <laughs> I can understand that that feeling. And, and I was just gonna say that, like, that feeling that you're describing is what I think we all search for as filmmakers. And like, going back to what Timothy was talking about earlier about the story that's gonna change your life. Like you're living that with like, you know, it looks like that was the the true for the Alzheimer documentary and it's true for birth. And I feel like in a lot of ways, despite the struggles that you're describing, I think we should all be envious of you as filmmakers. Like we should all want to have that story that we're so passionate about to tell that we would, you know, give up everything in order to make sure it happens. I mean, it's pretty beautiful.
1: I also think about like, all right, when I'm 80 years old like me Scott and I are the same age so we're 80 years old and we're both in a retirement <laughs> home together and and somebody walks in and says like oh I want to talk to you guys and tell me your life story Scott's story is going to be so much more interesting than mine I'd be like, "Oh, I worked at an ad agency for 20 years and I produced TV commercials." They're like, "Oh, okay, cool. How about you, Scott?" And Scott just like, "Well, I put things on screen that no one has ever seen before and I traveled to Budapest and I talked to these people and like he's traveled the world and I, you know, it's like his life sounds like Indiana Jones compared to to mine." Well, I <laughs>
2: That's sweet. I mean, if you all know, if you all only knew where I slept, I slept on my friend's pullout couch last <laughs> night. Uh, and it was not, not anything nice. I mean, it was a tough, tough sleeping setup. So I appreciate the compliments, <laughs> but uh, I w- sometimes I wish I had a, a bed to go home to on a regular basis, you know, that was mine.
1: That's no, okay. I slept in my comfortable bed, and I woke up at uh, midnight with from a nightmare, and I couldn't go back to sleep for like three hours because I was scared <laughs> there's a ghost in my room. So you know, it's not not all it's cracked up to be. R-
0: write a movie about it, Timothy. That sounds like a great story, man.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's like I I look at what you're doing, and I and I'm envious at, of it from a creative standpoint. I'm not envious of the lifestyle, but I think that like you you're probably emotionally, more emotionally satisfied than I am with my life. So it's like, I think it just kind of goes to show that there's this trade-off that we make. And um, it's hard to find, I think we're all like hoping that we could find both the financial stability and the emotional stability in life. But I think that getting both of those in one career is something that only happens for a very few of us
0: hearing you talk about this whole thing and and your career as a documentary filmmaker is just making me feel like i need to just dive right into my story of the alternate and get that movie made and you know i've I've been saying lately like oh it's just too much money like i gotta make something for cheaper blah 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 but like hearing you just like going to the ends of the earth to make your projects happen because you believe in the story it's like i feel that same way about my story i'm trying to tell I should just go to the ends of the earth. Why am I backpedaling? You know, like fear. It's no, You're scared. I'm scared. Yeah, I'm a scared little boy. It's true. Like I am really terrified of trying to get the alternate made. But I should just follow in Scott's footsteps. And but just let's talk do about it. that.
1: Like, what do you? What's the? What What are you afraid of? What's the worst that could happen? And then we can have Scott tell you like why you should care or not care. <sighs> about that. Dad, I don't
0: know. Just like I mean. I guess it's it's also like the part of the 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 feeling of not knowing where to start really and and like having these ideas like I called anthony mackey's manager last week and uh left a message and uh you know i was like i think i could probably they could tell like the assistants could tell that i was scared on the phone you know (laughs) by the tone of my voice and uh you know obviously i didn't get a call back they took my number and my name and and everything and you know i haven't heard back and I, i never will unless i call again you know and again and again and again and again but i think it's just that I don't know exactly what it is. I mean, I I know what I have to do, but it's like trying to do it just seems so, so so tough. And every time somebody you talk to says how impossible it's going to be. So I think what you do, you just believe in what people tell you when people tell you it's impossible. You start to believe that it's impossible when you just need to believe that you can do it no matter what. I mean, I don't know, Scott, like yeah. what do you, what do you do to combat that when people tell you that you can't do something? I,
2: yeah. I mean, I think you, we always hear about the idea of like production hell or, that a a project has been sitting for a few years and it's never going to get made. And I just know, you know, it's an inevitability that you're going to hit that wall. It's an inevitability. And I tell people on the production team that when you consistently hear the same insult or the same critique, then attack that. Go after that angle and bulldoze it. I I mean, I'm not always that confident about it but like for example with the Alzheimer's film people kept saying you can't tell the story from a woman with the disease's perspective and I'm like fuck that that's all I'm going to do and with this film people keep saying the word intense like this is going to be so intense this is going to be too intense and as we've been doing early post production I've just been zooming in you know tightening shots because I'm like I want it to be even more intense I want it to be even more emotional and (laughs) visceral So I'm not trying to be Mm. masochistic towards the audiences or anything else. I'm just saying, like, (laughs) if we're going to call ourselves filmmakers, it's just like when you have a when you have an idea that, you know, potentially can make you laugh in the first act and cry in the second act and laugh and cry in the third act. That's kind of like my overly simplistic formula. Then you just have to drop everything and do it, do it. You know, you you just know you have, if you know you have the goods with an idea, then there's no one else that's going to stop you by yourself. And I know there are all these stupid cliches out there. You know, there are so many options. Like, I wish, you know, Timothy, you're talking about your your career and, and what you're able to do with your ad agency. And like, you know, you're producing probably way more content than I am. And sometimes I'm sitting there wishing that I was actually out there on shoots then instead of writing one grant application after another, after another, after another. I mean, it's just, I'd spend so much time doing that, but it also is allowing me to go through the arguments that I'm making for why I need to make the, you know, for why this film matters. So it's a balance. And, you know, I feel like I spend more time not making films than making films but I it's just what I have to do to get to the finish line with a documentary.
0: I have a question. So, how much money have you raised for Birth so far? Yeah. And how much is the total budget going to be? Are you comfortable talking about that or do you need to keep that on the wraps yeah. or
2: or Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first, just to say, so the, the movie, if I can just say, the, the movie's called Of Woman Born, so if people want to know that. Sorry, sorry. Uh, no, 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 it's not cool, cool. No, it's funny. I'm just calling because, it birth. <laughs> no, it's funny you say this because Jason uh, created this acronym uh, during production, which was B-I-R-T-H. He and the guys want to continuously propose stupid titles for the film, you know, instead of the, you know, of woman born is a reference to the Audrey and Rich, you know, it's a seminal feminist text from, you know, probably, I think 30 or 40 years ago, it's called of woman born. But Jason, uh, you know, he came up with birth, which is born in a room of the house, which is a title that I just he just did that to annoy the hell out of me. So anyway, um, <laughs> I'm mentioning this as an aside. Uh, and I think one of the other guys wanted to call the film, you'll appreciate, Placenta Palace, which is not going to be the title, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, I love that title. That's great. Placenta so Palace. I think we prob- probably raised about twenty-five dollars or $30,000 so far, which is not a lot. That's on the high end, maybe, that we've raised that much. And we our budget is $300,000. So, uh, you know, we have a huge way to go, ways to go. We're, I'm spending this month trying to um, recruit a few executive producers, and then we're going to do a Kickstarter campaign probably for somewhere between fifty dollars and $75,000. Um, and then hopefully we'll get finishing funds by partnering with – I've been reaching out to co-production companies in Europe because – um, from showing our work samples to different people in the festival world in the states a lot of them have said you guys will have great success uh, if you're able to premiere this at a festival in europe so actually was just on the phone with a programmer at itfa getting his advice with this piece and so you know our hope is to get a few executive producers then kickstarter funding and then a co-production company and hopefully a few grants for finishing funds that's for finishing funds that's my um, roadmap to $300,000, but I know that that's going to be, you know, a serious struggle to to reach that point.
0: Yeah. Wow. Sounds like a good plan, though.
2: We're hopeful. I mean, we've been doing all the groundwork for the Kickstarter campaign, and we, we know that in terms of executive producers, you know, we're not targeting the abstract film. We're, we're specifically targeting, ideally, a female executive producer or two women who want to see, you know, an incredibly feminist documentary get out there. Because, you know, if you ask anyone, I'm I'm curious, like what's the most feminist film that people have seen? And I'm not trying to say this sort of, you know, in a silly, haphazard way. I'm, I'm just curious, what's a feminist movie? And a lot of people might say, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe a movie that's about um, sexual assault, sexual violence on campus, or you know, I think a fem you know, a movie that stands up for a women's cause. I don't know if you all saw Audrey and Daisy, that my friend Sarah Dosa produced, but I think that's a strong female, you know, fem- female-centric movie. But I don't, I, you know, I don't know what a feminist movie is right now that I can point to, and I think this is that kind of film. I'm not saying I'm like the world's greatest feminist, but I am trying to find an executive producer or two who are passionate about women's rights and feminist issues and uh, body autonomy for women in labor and so the nice thing is that i can target that kind of um, audience or those kinds of potential investors and and show them that this is a serious opportunity and hopefully a reasonable investment as well.
0: I like hearing the outline of how you're going to go about it because I think a lot of times, you know, at least from my, my perspective, like you see people, you know, doing Kickstarters or whatever. And then you see like the, the, the amount of money that uh, they're asking for. And you're like, wow, is that their total budget or is that what they need? But like to hear how you're structuring your Kickstarter within the overall, um, budget of your project, I think is really interesting. And, and, and I think you know useful for people to hear like oh that's just like one p- small part of what you're going to go and then you're going to go after these people to try to get the rest once this part of it's successful and like you know it's not necessarily an all-at-once t- type of approach it's more like you're windowing in a way like you know the the way you're bringing your budget in which i think is uh is useful for filmmakers to know about mm-hmm. you know
1: window crowd crowdfunding
0: window Exactly. But yeah, before we, we we end the conversation, Scott, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to say? No,
2: this has been amazing. You know, it's, it's great to get to talk. I never really get to talk with uh, film directors in the Bay, so it's cool getting to chat with you all. And I mean, it's it's a nice ending point also because it's like, I can say uh, a month from when you all release this podcast, you know, I will know that perhaps the financial fate of this film. And I will <laughs> either be in decent shape or else uh, really, really, really in trouble. <laughs> but uh, hopefully things will work out <laughs> because we would like to continue moving forward with post production. And uh, I'm excited. We'll be releasing our trailer in the next week. So I'll, I'll send you all that as well so that you guys can hopefully okay, put it. Okay, cool. Out there.
1: Yeah. And as. Is- there's going to be a Kickstarter campaign that goes live soon.
2: Oh yeah, right? the the campaign will be launching either the last week of April or the first week of May. It probably will be the first week of May, just because that'll coincide with uh, that's like Mother's Day week, and so that'll be a nice you know, sentimental reason to throw some money behind the project, hopefully. But yeah, so we'll probably, we'll be launching it, uh, I think, late April, early May, and the trailer will be coming out uh, next week. So yeah, we're excited. Okay, cool. We've got some plans in place so that different birth workers around the country will be doing sort of like satellite fundraising events within their communities. So we are you know, we're rallying the birth army, so to speak, as as we go along. Yeah, we're hopeful, for sure.
1: For people listening to this, if you feel inspired to help out in some way, um, the, right now, probably at the moment that this podcast will go live, this episode goes live, the trailer will be up, and we'll have that in our show notes. We'll also have a link to the website. It's ofwomanbornfilm.com. And there's uh it looks like you guys have a Twitter account, too. Uh, of Woman Born is yeah and facebook twitter and cool.
2: facebook yeah the twitter is the handle is at of woman born and the facebook is of woman born film
1: cool so people can find you that way we'll also tweet about it and, and post up on facebook so people could find it and yeah thanks again for for coming on this is a really fascinating conversation
2: Yeah, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been awesome. You
1: ready, Ulrich, for me to take us out? Take us out, Timothy. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you'll find links to all the things that we talked about. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook with the handle at mmihpodcast you like the show please tell a friend spread the word let everyone know we're out here um you can leave a review on itunes we love those also uh thanks scott and thanks Ulrich. this was great
0: yeah thanks scott for being here man really really cool talking to you yeah
1: thank you guys
2: take care have a
0: great day. talk to you guys next
1: week